mean, the, the French, they lost their land, like the fact the work Catholics, they lost their land to Cromwell. And then they jumped over again. I mean, you, you can't blame them for jumping. I mean, religion won't put food on the table. But I mean, they were, they were pretty good. I mean, they were pretty good people, the Frenches, from all I could know. This is the story of two big houses, one in Russia and one here in Monavay, County Galway. Oh, I, um, I, uh, you, want, you want me to tell you? I do, yes. Huh? You're the best person to tell us, Seamus. I'm the best person to tell yes. uh, Why do you say that now? Because you know so much about the family. You know more than anybody else does. They were one of the 14 tribes of Galway, anyway. We begin around 1850 with Robert French. There was two tears in the community, you know. He didn't go down to the pub for a jar with the boys or anything like that. He was, it was a different class structure like, but uh, he was well respected, we'll say. You mentioned earlier, and I think it's, it sounded very exciting, the times when things were great at Monavay, when there were balls and picnics on the lawn. And shooting parties. Shooting parties, yeah. yes. There used to be wonderful shooting parties and hunting. My father used to stay there after a day's hunting and lots of other people. Did he? I don't remember yeah, that yeah, because yeah. we didn't. He said the most wonderful experience was after a day's hunting to go upstairs and there was a bath filled in front of a fire. Wonderful. Yeah, big cans of boiling water in front of a roaring fire. No such comfort these days. When Robert French was sent to Russia as a member of the British Diplomatic Service, he left his younger brother, Atchison, to look after his domain in Monavay. Robert married a Russian heiress called Sofia Kindyakov, and they had a daughter, Kathleen, who was raised on the huge family estate on the Volga. Back in Monavay, Atchison also had a daughter, Roz. Rosamond, well, Rosamond grew up here um, as the almost the heiress of the domain. Um, the actual, the technical owners of it were her uncle Robert French and her then her cousin Kathleen, but they were several thousand miles away on the banks of the Volga um, in, in Russia. And Rosamond grew up as, as the lady of the manor. And she appears to have been um, very popular amongst the tenants and the people of the village. <coughs> Um, she appears to have been a caring landlady, and um, yeah. she never married. My mother even often used to talk about when she was little, uh, kids from the village used to go down for birthday parties. Rosamond would bring all the kids down and have parties, you know. So um, She was very popular, I'd say, yeah. Could you give us any idea of what she looked like? Um, in her youth, she was a very elegant lady. She was very beautiful. Um, and as she grew older, she maintained her dignity and elegance. Even in her old age, she was a very dignified, elegant old lady. She was always elegant. I don't know how tall she was. It's hard to tell from the photographs, but she was slender and she looked slender and elegant. She could have been a model almost. Um, her hair was blonde and I think it was long because in some of the pictures it's up. I'm sure as she got older it would have been shorter, but it's, um, she, I suppose she lived up to her station in life almost. She was, she always looked well cared for, well looked after. In the 18th century, Patrick French, a barrister known as Silvertongue French, 
consolidated the family fortunes. Finding under the penal laws that he couldn't prosper as long as he remained a Catholic, he embraced Protestantism, cementing his new position by marrying a bishop's daughter. Thus, by careful husbandry and judicious coupling, the Frenchers were able to buy back the Monovay domain which had been taken from them by Cromwell. Some 200 years later, Robert French followed suit and married wealth. So this leaflet says, Robert married Sophia, only child of Alexander de Kindiakov, so a Russian that, noble. That he's a gentleman that we know nothing about. A Russian noble of, we do know this maybe, a Russian noble of great wealth with seven estates on the Volga River. Sounds nice. Seven estates, yeah. It didn't do her any good in the end. <laughs> Not in the end. But do you think that Robert, having come from the great estate of Monovay, felt quite at home then in <laughs> Russia? Yes, probably. probably My new little castle he had in County Galway. But lots of servants? No, indeed. I wouldn't think so. Not at Monovay. There wouldn't be. I mean, it was a small... Yeah, the whole... Small castle. He didn't have much money. I wouldn't have thought. No. He married money. Married he well. made wealth. While Monovay was prospering, the Russian estates were doing even better, sowing the seed of rivalry between the two cousins, Roz and Kathleen. Eight hundred kilometers east of Moscow, along the banks of the Volga River, lies the city of Simbirsk. Robert French's wife was a member of the very wealthy Kindiakov family from Simbirsk. And the district we are passing by, officially called railway district, district of the city, but nobody in the city call it like this. It's called Kindiakovka. Uh, and though we, the city, have not seen anybody from the Kindiakov family for at least 90 years. So now we are driving through lands which used to belong to Kathleen. So at that time, her, her estate was outside the town, which was, of course, much smaller. And now we are driving through all her lands, and the, the lands were huge. Well, we're going through land, as Irina has told us, which was once owned by the Kindiakov family, uh, but it's very different now. It's a four-lane highway, um, even five as I look at <laughs> the car going ahead of us, and then parallel with that, there is a, a, a dual track for a tram up one way and down the other, um, and, a may, and just across this, the usual you know, bushes and, and uh, trees and so on, and beyond that, there's the main railway line. Uh, so it's very, very different from what it would have been during uh, Kathleen's time. So we've turned off that uh, main uh, three-lane highway. Uh, one of the things I, I forgot to mention was that where the little tram was passing, there was an unmanned crossing with a, just a lovely little blue and white uh, railway station, a ra a railway house, I suppose, which was uh, the, the guard probably lived because they, they you have to lift up the barrier for the cars to go across. So we've left the main road and we've now turned off into what looks to me like a, a very small village with some of these lovely, lovely, well, I call them datches, little uh, one-storey, uh, uh, timbered houses, though I can see that they're also having added on to them uh, brick rooms e extensions.
and um, got past somebody. A big pile of logs, of course, and somebody working there chopping them up. A very large pile of logs. Um, and we're driving along a main, an unmade road now with these old wooden houses, traditional houses on each side and there's workers, somebody's bringing home a lot of, it looks like to me, scrap metal. Uh, somebody else is coming out with a, a pail of water. Uh, so we're going back in time just a little bit now, which is great. We're, I'm starting to get excited about coming back to uh, where the family used to live. We're coming to the, um, the main uh, entrance. The Kindiakova family, uh, have they been, were they here for a long time? Were they, do they go back in history? I think yes, maybe for three or four centuries. They, they were among the richest families in the region. And uh, apart from owning the land, how, how did they become rich? I think land, it was the only way of being rich in Russia of that time. So we're, we're, at the moment we're standing in a really lovely um, area. I can look out across and see the Volga River, which to me looks like a sea because it is so huge. As far as the eye can see, I can see water, which is amazing. How far, how wide is the Volga River at this point? Here, because it's in the city, it's two kilometers in order for us to be able to cross it because there are some part of the city is on the other side of the river. And about 50 kilometers from here, we have a village, and there the width of the Volga River is 40 kilometers. And actually, it's the dam, it's water storage. Uh, it's, it used not to be like this. And about like 50 years ago, a, a dam was built, and it became that wide because it f flooded many villages and many fields. And uh, so the, the Kindiakov family is a lovely place to live, obviously, and we're surrounded by lovely beech, silver birch trees mm -hmm. and uh, protecting us from the sun. It's not too hot at the moment, but it obviously will get hotter later on. Was this a good place to live for them? They're quite far out from the town. It is not far from the town. And silver birch trees are typical. It's a symbol of Russia. And it was typical for the town to be built on the hill facing the river because going by river you could trade with other towns and just you can move along the river and it was one of the fastest not fa maybe fastest because by horse it will be uh, it, it will take much longer to go and it used to be like this to to have your you know, dwelling right in this kind of place but then because um Kathleen's family were big landowners in the area. Did they have many houses? Did they have a lot of land both in the city and outside? Yeah. As far as I read, yeah, they had several because the village we are going tomorrow, Teringa, they used to have the mansion and it's quite 70 kilometers from here. Though Kathleen was born into this world of aristocratic privilege, it wasn't long before a dark cloud appeared over the Kindiakov estate. And as I know from letters, very soon there was some misunderstanding in the family. I know for sure that uh, her parents didn't divorce legally, but they split. They lived in different countries. Her father, Robert Percy, was a diplomat. 
and he served uh, in different countries of Europe and her mother from that time she lived in Kindyakovka and didn't leave it just at that time Kathleen was six or seven years old so Kathleen found herself living alone with her mother because her father was often absent he um, appears to have been something at least of a womanizer so he you know, he may have been deeply enamoured of her when he married her and you know, the novelty wore off or they fell out of love or upper-class men in those times may have had a different set of morals from the rest of us anyway and, you know, the wife was the child-bearer and the mistresses were the entertainment. <laughs> we don't know whether he had one or more mistresses either. We know there were at least one. Kathleen's father was living apart from his family, he took his paternal duties very seriously. Here's a letter he wrote to Kathleen from Paris in 1879 when she was 15. My dear Kathleen, I am at a loss to understand this silence. It is quite three weeks since I have heard from you, and I have repeatedly ordered that you are never to be a fortnight without writing to me. Your affectionate father. Nevertheless, father and daughter got on well, and Robert sometimes took Kathleen all the way from central Russia to Monovay, which one day she would inherit. Dear Grandma, before we leave Ireland, Papa wants to take me to see the lakes of Killarney. I will spend tonight with Rosamond. I'm still very delighted with Monovay, but I don't think I could spend the future or lead a life of pleasure here. Your devoted granddaughter, Kathleen. So here we have two girls, Roz in Monovay and Kathleen coming from Russia. But what can Roz have thought of her exotic cousin, who was fluent in three European languages, whose father was the elder French son in line to inherit Monovay, while her own father, Acheson, who, as master of the Galway Blazers, spent more time riding to hounds than attending to the domain. Kathleen's grandfather gave her one of his large Russian houses, which stood in fine parkland a few kilometres outside Simbirsk. Thus, at the age of 20, Kathleen took the first steps in becoming a major landowner. When she inherited this land, uh, I was quite poor, and she, it, it took her much time and energy and much invest, um, much money to, to restore everything and to make this land uh, make profit. She didn't understand, uh, understand anything, she didn't know anything about agriculture, and she never knew whether it would work out or not. Она всю жизнь поддерживала отношения со своим отцом Робертом Перси Френчем. Она была была с ним в переписке. She kept in touch with her father Robert. They corresponded with each other. И сохранились сохранились письма Кэтлин к ее отцу и ответы Роберта. And there are letters from Kathleen to Robert Percy and back from Robert Percy to Kathleen. 
отец советовал ей познакомиться с помещиками симбирскими. По сути дела, Кэтлин всю жизнь посвятила ну, как правило, на зимний месяц она отправлялась путешествовать с отцом. времени она, конечно, проводила здесь, в Киндяковке. Хотя всегда мечтала. Проходите, по архитектурному облику, если посмотреть сверху, то архитектор его... It's a two-story building, and on the first floor there were the kitchen, the dining room and bedrooms, and on the second floor there was some uh, ball halls and some reception room, rooms for, for the guests. Every year uh, they held uh, big fairs here. So and for the three days of the fairs they got uh, the yield, uh, which will then Uh, feed the villagers for the whole year and you may get uh, so you may understand how important uh, the mansion was and the landlady and her management uh, style was for the region until Kathleen came along the workers on this estate had had a very hard time So and he he used to say that I'm here and a guard and the czar all in one, and he uh, moved his he urged his workers to work hard and he built everything the church the stable all, all the houses and all agricultural buildings. He enjoyed sitting on the balcony of this house and looking around through binoculars and so. And he punished severely those who did not work if he saw that no, uh, somebody was not working. And here in the cellar of the house there are some hooks where they were executed, those who were idle bones. And when Kathleen Percy French inherited this house, 
she, uh, for, to the villagers, she was a real angel in comparison to that demon Alexander uh, Skrebitsky. Because she did march for the charity, for the community. She opened the library. She fed the poor when there were some uh, hardships. And uh, she, uh, she employed more people. And she opened workshops and so providing jobs for some of them. Just come in a couple of years and you'll have a yeah. building changed. No way could you find in Russia the ceilings like this and the acoustics like this. We've, got, we've been joined now by two little boys from here. I'm going to ask them if they know anything about the Kindiakov family or even about this house. No. And uh, what about this big house? Does he, have they been in here before? And did, do they know anything at all about it? People say that there is a ghost here. Probably is, yeah, but not, not all ghosts are bad. Some ghosts are good. And what about his friend over there? Is he? He doesn't know anything. They saw that they opened door and come inside to find any ghost. Maybe there's some. In 1896, Robert French, Kathleen's father, died, and as a result, she inherited Monavay. Kathleen embarked on a project that would take nine years to complete, the building of a magnificent and ornate mausoleum on the Monavay estate, in which her father's body would be interred. The doings of the French family were regularly covered by the Tomb Herald. Here's what the paper said when Kathleen returned to Monavay to oversee the completion of her father's mausoleum. Miss French, owner of Monavay, is an extensive landed proprietor in Russia, where she permanently resides. She has come to Ireland in response to an invitation from the tenants for the purpose of selling them some land in the Monavay estate and in dividing the grazing lands between them. The paper goes on to describe the crowd of tenants waiting at the great gates of Monavay, their lighted torches held high, ready to escort Kathleen to the doors of the castle. The paper was disapproving of the high number of police in evidence, which it felt unnecessary, though there had been fears that people from the Land League might stage a counter-demonstration. In fact, there were loud cries of land for the people from among the crowd, but that was the height of the revolt. It was at this point that the issue of the sale of Monavay land contributed to the growing coldness between Kathleen and her cousin Roz. Roz had lived her whole life on the Monavay domain and now felt threatened. That same week, here's what the Tomb Herald had to say about Roz. Miss Rosamond French, daughter of our esteemed and popular neighbour, Atchison French, of Monavay Castle, is at present interesting herself in Dublin. This gifted and accomplished young lady has devoted her talents and time to helping her fallen fellow creatures and enabling them to lead useful and decent Christian lives.
the good times for Kathleen in Simbirsk couldn't go on forever. In 1917, the Russian Revolution began. One after another, all my country places were wrecked. Pictures, furniture, plate, documents, clothes. Then some of the houses were burnt or pulled down and the woods destroyed. All the cattle, horses, machinery included. I had just time to throw on some clothes when we were hustled about in the most odious manner. Twenty fellows pointing their revolvers at us and yelling. I was kept four days on the floor with various miscreants and then marched off to prison between two soldiers and locked up with every description of malefactor, such as thieves, street girls and murderers. There were three or four ladies besides myself, so that was some consolation. It's a terrible irony that the revolution which deprived Kathleen of much of her wealth had its beginnings in Simbirsk because it's here that Lenin was born. After her release, Kathleen travelled back to her estate in Monavay, where she found her cousin Roz less than welcoming. I have lived through one revolution and don't have the heart for another. Kathleen moved on to Harbin in Manchuria, where she joined some other white Russians and lived there a life of comparative luxury until she died in 1938. Kathleen's body in a zinc-lined coffin was brought 4,000 miles from Manchuria across the Russian wastes until six months later it arrived at the mausoleum on the Monavay estate. Did either of you go to the funeral? Did you go to the funeral? Uh, yes, and there's a photograph of us going up to the door of the little of the mausoleum. Not many, very few. Uncle Hubert, my godfather, and me and grandparents and my father. I wouldn't have thought more than about a dozen. Well, my parents were probably at the funeral. We would have, would have been in school. Yeah. But whether you were in the group that the photograph is of, probably, probably not. I must show it to you. No, she was just somebody I never was at all interested in till recently. There was no reason, except that it was sad to go back. So she, she must have been had an awful lot of money to spend, Kathleen. First of all, to build that mausoleum and bring home our father in a lead coffin, and subsequently she was brought home. The very sad thing about this story is there's nobody else remembers. There's nobody of our vintage who has any memories. Was it your grandfather also looked after the estate at Monavay? My father. And he went there, poor man, to collect the rents and... Not a happy job. Yeah, not a very happy job. And I, yeah, I don't think he looked forward to it. And then perhaps he'd come down from me to have a day's hunting in Galway and back to his Mount Hazel where his parents lived, my grandparents. But I don't think he enjoyed coming down at all or going to Monavay. It was a arduous job. Well, did he manage the farm? Yeah. Because Such as they it was. had all these cattle. I remember they were bulls, Aberdeen Angus bulls. And really? there were lots of gates as you went up the avenue. Yeah. 
and we, there was always a fight which of us would have to get out and open the gate because we'd be yep. afraid of the bulls, you know. <laughs> but um, so he was also in charge of the forestry. I don't never heard anything about him doing anything about the forestry. My brother Peter would know that. No, but he because my father told us that he, your father. He was quite knowledgeable about trees because he used to talk to my father about trees. And some of the trees, they needed cutting because they were old and they would fall on good trees. And he apparently wrote to Kathleen and said that some of the trees needed cutting. And she wrote back and said, cut one tree and your job is finished. And Rosamond must have told my father that story because otherwise he wouldn't have known it. Yes, because there were lovely trees, huge number of forestation here. Although Kathleen had allowed Roz to live at Monavay, the estate was in decline, masonry was crumbling, and Roz, now in her 70s, was forced to live in one room surrounded by fading photos of her father. And worse was to come. So she, she must have been had an awful lot of money to spend, Kathleen. You see, she didn't leave a penny to Rosie. I mean, she left the castle, the estate, to indigent school school teachers. teachers. And the government didn't honour that. They said they couldn't afford that. Ten indolent school teachers. Why do you think there was so much dissension between the two women, between Rosie and Kathleen? I don't know actually how much there was. After all, she was left there to live, and presumably she had something to... Thanks to Kathleen, she had something to live on. Did she have... Very little, I think. I think she was pretty hard up, Roz. And as I say, I loved Roz, and she'd be always fun. And this very chesty, awful throat she had from all the smoking, husky voice... (laughs) My connection with the French family is that I found myself doing pony for Miss Rosmond. She was asthmatic and she wasn't able to push the lawnmower or pull it. And I had to do both for her. I had to push her and pull her. <laughs> See, like. Now, she was very bossy in her way. But she she hadn't a lot of money, it seems, and she had no shout in the operation of any of the activities down in the castle. But she was a, a fine frame of a lady. She had a beautiful carriage, a very nice person to talk to, and very good to kids. Would you say that the French family, were they good landowners? There was no such thing as a good landlord. They came in here and they acquired our country under the plantation on Norbellum. And that, to me, was something that I always was interested and something that I always will resent. Because my father took part in the rise in 1916 and were patriotic to the core. So we never had really much time for the landlord or their associates. 
for fair play where it's due. The Frenchers, well, you could tolerate them in this society. And I thought they were very nice people. feeling now that we're, we're talking about Monavay in its heyday and what great landlords they were and that kind of thing. Is there any feeling of regret now about all that that's gone? The fact that they're gone? Well, and that that, that lifestyle is gone as well. I oh, not really, I think. You can't, you can't live in the past. You have to got to move on. I mean, if, if we're, we, we couldn't be a, a subservient uh, community all our life, you've got to, you've got to move on. We've got... We've got our independence. So you just can't, you can't live in the bygone days. That would be progressive. Look at the future. Do you think that that was what was con contributed to the downfall of the house, the fact that the, the, the political changes in Ireland at that well, time? Well, I mean, if you look uh, at the time, you're looking at, at uh, you had the War of Independence, then you had the Civil War here, there was very there was land agitation here. People wanted their land. I mean, yeah. like they they gave up their land free of will. I mean, at no cost to the state, they gave it over free. But I mean, they 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 had a good running. I mean, they were here from 1600 to 1630 to 1930. They were here for 300 years. So, I mean, they had a good run out of it. Can't complain. We we if a family can live 300 years in one area, there's nothing to complain about. They were in Monavay for over 300 years. They would have been in Monavay over 300 years. They would have been in Gaulish. I mean, they're Irish. I mean, they're even though they're like, they would be Anglo Irish, but they actually are Irish. I mean, if you're long enough living in the area, you'd be Irish. I, I classify them as being Irish. Myself, I, I classify them as being Irish. Including, including Kathleen, who, who was born in Russia? Well, I don't know. I mean, she, she came up, well, she still looked at her, at her home, I suppose. She had nowhere else to go. That time she came back. I mean, she had she had to feel something towards it. She didn't. I suppose if she wanted, she could have sold it off and lived in on the continent. But she said she used to refer to it as her her, uh, her bog garden. That's her, the way she used to term describe one of her bog garden, small compared to what she had in in Russia. There's only two thousand acres, but she used to refer to it as her bog garden, two thousand acres. But I mean, she must have had some 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 inclination or love for the area that she came back. I mean, she could have sold it. She could have lived on the continent, but she came back. So, I mean, I think they have to be Irish. That's all I can tell you about them now, yeah. Ros died in 1939, and that was the end of the French family in Monavay. Ros had challenged Kathleen's will and managed to have it overturned, but to no avail. She herself died three days earlier. Well, just now we're in the uh, uh, Bonnevay Wood, naturally enough, but we're uh, approaching uh, the mausoleum where Kathleen French 
built this mausoleum and seemingly she wanted it built in the heart of the, of a wood, the woodland, and it to be uh, surrounded by wood at all time. And uh, we can just see it in front of us here at the moment. It's a lovely uh, mausoleum, of course, one of the best in Europe, I do believe. And it has been built in roughly uh, over a hundred years now. It's much bigger, um, looking at it now, I had expected a mausoleum. I thought it would be something maybe 10 or 12 feet high, but this is much bigger than that. And it's got battlements, what looked like battlements across the top. So it looks as if it's it's part of a, a castle. It's really very, very imposing. Yeah. So are you going to let us go in? Well, yeah, I'll give you the pleasure of opening the door now oh, great. In, into the uh, Kathleen French's uh, okay. uh, chapel. You can see there's a lovely altar here, and uh, behind the altar you have, again, another nice window with uh, uh, the angels and our, our Lord in the middle, and it's uh, facing naturally enough towards the east, like all churches. We certainly have enough flies down here, anyhow, you know. Now we're here, as you can see, down in the basement. We have come down the spiral uh, stairs there, and uh, we can uh, see two coffins here. Well, this is the smaller one is Kathleen's, and the other one is the big man himself. But this would have come, this came 4,000 miles across from China, from Manchuria, across yeah. Russia and all the way here to Monavay. So I hope this is a fulfilment of your journey in uh, trying to find out all about Kathleen French. If you're going to the end of your tether to find out where the body rests, then well, I think this is, this is it. Even now, here we are, we're standing in the semi-darkness here, and voices are echoing as well in the vault. But um, shining down onto her lead coffin is a very small square window of light. Because, of course, we're in the basement of the, the mausoleum. So there's just up above us, there's a very small window. And I know that outside that window, there is one last place that we have to visit in order to bring this story to its close. So now, uh, as you can see, we're just outside the mausoleum. And just outside the mausoleum, we have uh, uh, Rosamond French, was cousin to uh, Kathleen inside, and uh, died in 1939. Uh, she's laid to rest just outside. There's a nice headstone. Uh, just over, and uh, we often wondered why she's not inside with the others, but uh, that's the way. Family quarrels, I suppose, or something. So uh, she's, she's, I suppose, as peaceful there anyhow as she might have been inside. I'm struck by the 
beach, tall beech trees here and the moon shining just beyond them and the light fading now from the sky. Yeah, we, we have some beech and ash uh, uh, planted all around here and uh, we have only recently planted more uh, just there too. During the summer, it's amazing me how they're still growing, so uh, it'll all be a few years, I suppose, be a, a very nice place, you know. Is that it's not mountain ash, what I call no, it? No, it's not, no. And, uh, I don't think you want to allow it to be put out, I mean, the medicine is for it to be put for whole, even. It's the normal thing.